Um nom 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 nom. This is these are bad movies. Um nom 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 nom. Oh, are you trying to give us a hint about what we're going to be watching? <laughs> yes, my name is Amanda Ferriante. Um nom 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 nom. And I'm Amy Bell. And uh, I'm uh Charlie Roberts, their favorite writer. Yeah. Yeah. And reoccurring guest. Yes, absolutely. And before we get started, I really want to say, Hola, Brazil. Hola. I am totally going to learn Portuguese for no, all y'all. You're not. <laughs> uh, uh, I can say, is- A menina está bebendo. God, this is like sitting at a. Like a uh, which I think in- means the girl is drinking. I was gonna say this Biblioteca. Is, this is I like, am like I straight up. I straight up. I'm learning. I'm gonna learn Portuguese. I'm gonna do it. This is like going into Taco Bell with somebody and they start speaking Spanish. Except <laughs> Spanish Portuguese. and Portuguese. I know. I'm not. not are not. Are you insulting my Brazilian buddies? Sometimes. Like I want to learn Portuguese so badly so that I can say. Oh, I, that that. better. It, it wasn't a direct analogy, but okay. the, the I'm point. So was, excited. The point yeah. was the. Uh, we're saying hi to our people in Brazil. Right? We have a are. lot of Brazilian listeners, and we right love now. them. <laughs> oh, okay. We love them so much. Say hola. I, I say no. hola. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Really trying to. Oh my word. Oh my word. Push away our audience. Uh, Charlie's views do not represent the views of these are bad movies towards our lovely Brazilian listeners. You know what this brings to mind? What? There's a YouTuber, Brian David Gilbert. He does funny YouTube videos. Uh-huh. And at one point, he was looking at his metrics on YouTube, and he made a video that was specifically for the Swedes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all about how this one's for the Swedes. You know what? If if we get start getting Swede listeners, we'll do one for the Swedes, too. <laughs> Australia, you're next. I see you. I see you, Australia. And South Africa. Australia. Um, nom, 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 Yeah, I can see that There's a lot of um, nom, 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 because we're going to watch Jaws. Um, nom, 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 nom. And you might be asking, I thought you were doing Man Month, which isn't a question. There are men <laughs> in Jaws. Many men have Jaws. And there's Month. Oh, oh really? <laughs> I would never have guessed that there were men in Jaws. Yeah. So we I'm are. So surprised. <laughs> we are uh, doing Jaws at the recommendation of Charlie over here. So if it's S- a bad episode, blame Charlie. It's what they do anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So if you're listening to listen to Charlie. Why? Oh, that was mean. Oh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was really mean. But that's did, probably how all I'm... of Brazil feels about you right now, oh, too. Really? But you well, didn't even well, say hola. You see, you see people, people don't listen to me. People read me because so, I'm a writer. So Charlie, here's my question. So there's your why. There's with, your answer to your why. With that comment, mm-hmm. did I make your masculinity feel fragile? I have a box of Kleenexes because you're so mean to me. Okay. Ooh. I feel Ooh. like this movie hey, is sufficiently corrupt. Hey, Amanda. Wolfman? <laughs> My masculinity Amanda? must Wolfman? be in crisis. <laughs> I'm no. not calling you Wolfman. The <laughs> best I can do is wolf pants. I'll take it. <laughs> Has anybody ever told you that you make men uncomfortable and that you uh, emasculate them with your personality? One time I heard that someone had said I didn't seem to honor my femininity very much. Yeah. <laughs> or my I didn't oh. honor my womanhood. And I was like, interesting comment. It sounds like masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's where it was what are, going. What are you doing this evening? Honoring your womanhood? My inner goddess. Um, oh, good. I have been told <laughs> I'm lost. I've I've been told uh by men at times that I am emasculating. And I look at a man who would say that if your masculinity depends on me, tough buddy, you might have a problem. I'm just I'm just imagining you going around to guys and like grabbing their man cards and shoving them to the ground, just like Give right me down their cards. throat. <laughs> okay, but if you they've... want this man card, pry it from my cold dead hands. If they've got man cards, they have other problems. Uh, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, uh, on more than one occasion, people have have said that to me. Mind you, this was in teens, twenties. And looked... what they were trying to say was, shut up. 
And don't uh, try to sound smart. Isn't it fun the way humans yep. will say one thing to mean another thing oh, because they're cowards? I might have also told a guy I was going to punch him. Well, but you, you I wasn't lying. Up. Yeah, I was going to say. She <laughs> does not lie about that thing, <laughs> about that kind of thing. If Amy says she's going to punch you, believe her. <laughs> I have not heard those words uttered just yet. No. Yet. Well, dun 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 dun. You know, it Anyway, we are going to be looking at Jaws through the lens of masculinity and crisis, manhood being threatened. <laughs> yeah. Which by is, by yeah. like Jaws, Amy, whichever. So, if at any point we talk about threatening your manhood, that is also not code for masturbation. What are you doing this evening? <laughs> threatening your manhood? We'll have to let the Give pope. it the business. <laughs> we'll, ha we'll have to let the Pope know. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. All right, should we just watch this movie? Yeah. You still won't say hola, will you? No. Oh, my word. Let's watch it. We're back. <laughs> yes, we are. We did watch it. It's uh, really long. It is long God. and boring. Mm -hmm. Watching it made me realize I've actually seen Jaws quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's just something that would be in the background for me. I like, okay, I get why some people like it because maybe they think watching fishing on TV is exciting. Were we not just watching fishing? <laughs> yeah, well, this the Discovery Channel has really, really mined that uh, demographic, haven't they? Well, I mean, it's 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 a it's a slow burn nature thriller, horror. and it's like supposed to be psychological and like mm -hmm. the inner relations, but the dialogue is almost <laughs> hilariously <coughs> okay. garbage. So, to the dialogue, Richard Dreyfuss had something to say about this movie. Quote, we started the film without a script, without a cast, and without a shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, oh. They, they would get their scene handed to them the day of, which would be based in part on the conversation at dinner the night before. <laughs> oh, my word. <sighs> I mean, it has got some bad dialogue. Like, uh, that's some bad hat, Harry. <laughs> yeah, or... Um, but, uh, you know, as or, you say. Yeah, you know, as anybody who has watched House has heard over and over again. That's some bad hat, Harry. Um, what? The the production yeah, company the uses production that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which... And, or, or that little... Um, fight they had that little argument where he's like i'm not gonna argue with somebody who's gonna stand here and be uh, prepared to be a hot lunch and then he just leaves yeah. i don't know i found myself saying that's what she said a lot and then realizing how actually filthy that came off with well, the dialogue when, in Jaws. i mean when you're talking about the ocean and boats what was it like that's my that that's in the porthole or something like that. Well, so, so the Quint guy was describing throwing somebody out the tiny round window on the side of the boat. And I said, that's a porthole, you dumbass. And then Amy said, that's what she said. <laughs> oh, my I, yeah, God. Our dialogue was more entertaining. It, it, was, it was like an episode of The Office watching jaws yeah <laughs> we had fun not watching the movie yeah. okay lots, uh, lots of camera lots of camera looks after who, who wants to do the plot i'm looking at lord of the plot okay but i can do it All although right. i do blame charlie for bringing us another man versus nature movie and he this did one was yeah. not as fun as the itch well um well because it didn't have anthony hopkins yeah, but also I'll, it wasn't as fun well, well, there you know, were some bits that were fun. Well, you know, uh, someone's got to fight nature. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, getting out of control out there. <laughs> too much nature. <laughs> so. Beat it in submission. That's what <laughs> she said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
Dang it. Okay, plot. <laughs> so, there's a captain. No, <laughs> he's he's a sheriff. Not a, a shark. Sh- I'd start with a shark, <laughs> but uh, you know. No, he he. Okay, so Ice Man. Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say chief of police. Yes, chief of police. The police guy. Brody. Chief of the donut eaters. He lives there, so there's a shark. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) A plot happens. There was a movie, and then it ended. There's a shark. Some chick is out swimming. She was a stunt woman, and part of the reason she was cast is because of being a woman, but also she was willing to perform nude. (laughs) I know. This movie is rated PG and had full frontal nudity in the opening scene. But underwater, so does it count? (laughs) I guess it could just be a Nirvana, a Nirvana yeah. cover and, album. And to to those foreign <laughs> listeners, Americans uh, are real scared of naked ladies, yes. <laughs> but not if they're underwater. Yeah, like like <laughs> that makes it an R rating typically. Like the gore wouldn't make it an R mm-hmm. rating, but the naked lady typically yeah. makes things an R rating. Yeah, so she gets eaten by a shark, and then. The chief of police, Brody, is like, oh, there's a shark in my town. We better not do that. And then the mayor is like, but our business will die if we don't have all these tourists flopping around in the water for shark bait. So let's not tell anybody. And goes over the chief's head, and he's very afraid of water and sharks and all the things that live in the water because of reasons. And then... Another kid gets eaten. Stop cussing, cat. <laughs> oh, come here. And then people are upset because not as not only is one kid dead, two kids are dead. How could you let a second happen after the first? And then there's a bunch of politics shenanigans, and eventually they they do shut down the water, and and there is a hunting group put together to go get the big guy, mm-hmm. which consists of. Rich boy, Richard Dreyfus playing Hooper, or Curly, as we called him. Because he had curly hair. And we did not care about their names. And then Quint, the old sea dog, and Brody. And then they go out on the boat, and they go several rounds with the shark. And they're really antagonistic with each other. Because until they buddy up. Over their shirts. <laughs> I just remembered the movie over (laughs) (laughs) over their shared scars. And so Quint and Hooper are comparing their scars and Brody is just sort of standing watching the conversation going and he looks at presumably one of his own (laughs) one of his own scars, but it looks like he's looking down his pants. It really looks like they're talking about when sharks bit each other, God. and then he looks sadly, like opens up his pants and looks straight down his pants, and then looks decides sad and decides not to share. Yeah, he doesn't say anything, but you, but you see him look down his pants. Um, and anyway, the shark gets the boat. The shark gets Quint. I don't know what happens to Hooper. And then he's Brody, fine. They yeah, go he's back fine. To the he, 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 he oh, hot, is that what happens? He he yes. he gets out of the the anti shark cage and he goes and he hides behind some coral reef yeah. okay. because apparently the then, shark's not very. Smart. And then he comes back. Okay. Mm, yeah. Also of note, Richard Dreyfus did get locked in the cage <laughs> and could not get out for a while, and the boat tried to sink, not on film. <laughs> okay. Um. And then they, they explode the shark and go home. So, some people, it turns out, do not know that the, that Jaws himself is, is named Bruce. I mean, it, that, I guess that would be the joke in Finding Nemo. Yeah, it's Bruce. That, that, is, that is fair. That okay. would be interesting. Yeah, that would be because one of the shark was named Brian. Bruce. And so, like, I was sitting there. My mind was wandering because get a little bored in this movie. And the shark... Starts attacking the boat, and all I could think of was I kept having uh, the ELO song stuck in my head. I'm sitting there just going, Don't bring me down, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out that they don't say Bruce in that song, they're saying Groose, which which my guess is is that on audio, you're not going to be able to tell the difference between me saying Bruce and Groose. Um, Groose is Bruce's younger brother. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Don't uh, get it twisted. But then another member of the band said that no, he was singing Bruce and it was to make fun of Australians, which <laughs> led to more questions. And I don't like. So I went down that rabbit hole for a little bit during the movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I was cleaning up my island on Animal Crossing. I did some fishing while they were doing some fishing. <laughs> I fished Did you my catch cat. any sharks? No, I haven't caught any this whole season. Oh, wow. It's really sad. Oh, man. Um, but I have a story to tell about Jaws. Okay. So, watching the movie, I remembered, oh, yeah, I have seen this a lot, to the point of I can't pin down a number of times I've seen it. I can't either. And part of the reason I've seen it as much as I have is because growing up in a conservative religious household... Yes. We had a general prohibition from watching not spiritual enough movies on Sunday. So we saw a lot of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat <laughs> and Pinocchio and some like black and white films, right? Okay. Until one day, my younger brother and I, we got into our heads like, hey, what if we spun a movie plot to our parents and got the okay before we told them the name? So... We got Jaws to be a Sunday appropriate movie for the family. And what, by talking about this movie, about this guy who's had this past trauma that he has to overcome to save not only his family, but his community. And then he does. And they were like, yeah, that sounds like a great story. So we got to watch Jaws on Sundays. <laughs> and also watching the movie again. I realized I'd only ever seen it filtered <laughs> before. <laughs> so, like, the dead guy underwater, <laughs> that was the first time I'd ever seen him. It's Josie and the Pussycats all over again. <laughs> We're, like, coming up to the one-year anniversary, and we had to go back to movies that Amanda's only seen with the parental filter on. Yeah, but th at least the Josie and the Pussycats version had been published that way. Yeah. Jaws has not been published minus the dead guy underwater. Right. <laughs> so my story is over. That's pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. you you spun Jaws as like a religious tale well, of well, community responsibility and, and perseverance. And, and overcoming trials, you know, like leap of faith ish. It works. Or uh, <laughs> drowning for faith. Drowning for faith. Now he <sighs> lives at the end. Well, you know, I my, my Jaws story is a little less um, interesting, but more along the lines of what the common Jaws story is. Being afraid of sharks. Being afraid of swimming. You're so influenced by media. Uh, I'm not talking about myself, Miss Assumptions. Oh, who, who? My brother was of the age of children that uh, saw Jaws in the theater and kind of didn't know what they were going into. And my brother is now 50 years old and is, you know, he's not unnatural. Like, and, and, you know, I'm not trying to share any dirt here, but he's apprehensive in lake water even. Like he, There's a shark in the pond in yeah, the movie. Yeah, like <laughs> because the age he was at when he saw that movie, because he was like came out in 1975, and he would have been four or five when he saw that movie, and like lifetime of being afraid of open water, lifetime. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, can I share something cool about the movie from Wikipedia? Yes. On a related note. Sure. So. Wikipedia says that the film was said to have caused a single case of cinematic neurosis Ooh. <laughs> in a 17-year-old female viewer and then describes cinematic neurosis as a condition in which viewers exhibit mental health disturbances or a worsening of existing mental health disturbances after viewing a film. So another example cited is The Exorcist. <laughs> but I can also think of 127 Hours. Well, and the shower scene in Psycho, I think it did the same thing. Yeah. Like, because you see that, you're like, hotel showers are creepy. No, um, but I, I, th I think it's not like a, a just a fear, but like a visceral physical response in the theater. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because like people in 127 hours were 
notoriously vomiting mid-movie. I'm also thinking of an example from my own family in which my older brothers caused a child stampede (laughs) (laughs) during what (laughs) so watching sleeping beauty or yeah it would have been sleeping beauty (laughs) they my brothers lost it and needed out of the theater (laughs) and were pounding on the door (laughs) and the other children followed suit oh my god to witness. Yes. My parents did not enjoy that family outing. (laughs) Cinematic neurosis. (laughs) In Sleeping Beauty? Yes. Well, they were young, and it was very scary. Was it? (laughs) Really? Which part? (laughs) It was that or Snow White, but I think it was Sleeping Beauty. Oh, wow. Uh, So, I have to note, like, when Charlie brought this show to us, Jaws, um, nom, one, nom, 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 nom. one, I did not realize how just like on top of the messaging, just how bad of a movie this actually is. <laughs> like it's considered the first blockbuster. Oh, yeah. Summer blockbuster. It's what started the summer blockbuster mm-hmm. talk as about, a very concept. Talk about mm-hmm. cinematic neurosis. Can, exactly. <laughs> Can I talk about how over blown Spielberg's reputation is. Can we get to this first? Sure. <laughs> All right. So it's it was it started the summer blockbuster. It's considered a classic. It was objectively terrible. We can all agree yes. on that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But Charlie brought it because it reflects a crisis of masculinity. And you know, I don't have the man experience that you do, Charlie. Well, you have experience taking the man experience. I mean, a different people. like not, okay. <laughs> not experience with men, but experience <laughs> being men. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> she said um, it. <laughs> you know me. I just I just walk outside. I'm like, yeah. How about that football team? <laughs> Let's go drinking. Um, <laughs> which is part of being a man. This is, this is what Charlie imagines the boys say. <laughs> the Ernest Hemingway experience. Oh, I hate Ernest Hemingway. I, that's that's a whole thing. Well, um, I mean, that's a joke in itself. I, I, I yes, okay. yeah. That um, man was God, that, that, make, that, that I was gonna say that that makes me want to quote Corvidal. We'll do that later. Okay. okay. Um, <clears throat> no, but so this movie is considered as a part of a pattern of movies that are considered a uh, movies that reflect a crisis of masculinity mm-hmm. in America's American cinema at least and this is based off some research I've done so I might be wrong but starting in about the 1970s to now there are movies that follow a certain train a certain kind of cinematic let's call it a trope where the idea of being a man, being masculine, is put to the test, and mm-hmm. if you can't, you can't see it. So you know, quotation marks put to the test. Is this kind of a uh, like uh, reactionary yes. uh, response to right, the, the yeah. building uh, feminist movement in the seventies? Yeah, basically, basically after a push. Yeah, so like, yeah, basically after we have the um, social and cultural revolutions from, you know, the end of the 60s, you know, mid to end 60s, and and civil rights becomes a bigger deal. There are movies that are made that are seen as reactionary, and one of those types is The Crisis of Masculinity, which is directly related to feminism. So without letting you finish your explanation, I have a question. Where's this train going? No. Do you have a ticket? (laughs) Stop. (laughs) So, um... Is the crisis of masculinity? I just licked the mic. <laughs> that that is now not that that's not now a version. being inappropriate. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, that, Sorry, that is not a version of the crisis of masculinity. No, no, no. Um, so, <laughs> is it usually portrayed through like an everyman character, like a white um, sort of just regular Joe guy? Well, and is John McClane an example? Joe. I Ooh. Die Hard Man. Oh, Die Hard Man. Um. John McClane. I I don't quite think so, but I also don't want to pretend to be an expert. But here's four movies that are similar. Uh, 
we had you on here because you are a man and like therefore represent an expert is like what your people do uh, well you know I, I went to the bars and i talked to some men they didn't know anything you have me. an interesting <laughs> idea about <laughs> I, I i go to hermit uh you know what? That joke's not going to work. Um, <laughs> oh, like any of the other jokes that we've told. Well, I was trying to say Ernest Hemingway, and I said Herming, and so I'm just going to end that thing. I hate him so much that I, don't e- I can't even say his name right. Okay. God. That's um, why she said it that way, too. <laughs> his shotgun's name is Herming. Um, oh. that, sometimes the shotgun is just a shotgun. Okay. Oh. Calm down, everybody. All right, Freud. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, the the four main movies that are usually brought up outside of Jaws that are versions of the crisis of masculinity is Deliverance, Straw Dogs, The Thing, and Midnight Cowboy. The Thing. And to to be clear, we were going to do Deliverance, but we did not want to address male sexual assault without uh, a man that wanted to speak on that subject. Right. Because it's uh, it has different issues, but yes. yeah, one of these days right. we might address that. Uh, but it's an uncomfortable subject. It, it oh, genuinely yeah. is. Yeah. That's a g- uncomfortable movie. Yeah. Jaws. Oh, Jaws. <laughs> oh, well, Jaws. I was gonna say the, the, <laughs> oh, Bruce. the, the way I ki- the way I kind of see. Don't let me down. <laughs> I was gonna say the way I kind of see the crisis of masculinity is that it started off kind of like Deliverance, where it's really uncomfortable. And it's kind of a thorny thing that comes up in a movie. And it slowly but surely has devolved into what Jaws is. Um, the general idea, the, generally what a, <clears throat> a movie that's about the crisis of masculinity, it kind of follows a similar track. Mm-hmm. Although it's not exactly the same for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, you have a man who's in society and he's always shown as kind of a society guy. In this case, we have a chief of police, mm-hmm. somebody who's a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And then you have them somehow come into confrontation with nature. The difference for Jaws from, let's say, like Deliverance or whatever, is that Brody never actually leaves the community. Because like in Deliverance, they go off. He is at odds with it, though. Right. Yes. And so it's a a slight difference that, that is important. But like, you know, like in Deliverance, they went out to like, you know. The woods. The woods. Or like in... um, you know, the movie we talked about, um, The Edge, they actually had to go out yeah. somewhere. And so in this case, it doesn't happen. He doesn't go out to nature. Nature basically comes to him. Mm-hmm. But more or less... Nature would not have come to him if they just didn't get in the freaking water. Yes, right. Yeah, you know, it, you know, a little common sense. You know, the, the plot of Jaws always seemed it, it, hysterically unbelievable to yes. me. Until COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. No. The trust economy. Me. There, there are some, there are some comedies that I've gone watched um, during COVID. When I first watched them, I was like, "Oh, that's stupid. They would never do that." Then that's like, you know what? <laughs> I would not put it past yeah. us Americans. Yeah. Um. But basically, a man starts in society, and he has a confrontation usually with nature. Sometimes it's with other people. Like in Straw Dogs, it's with other people. Or in Deliverance, it's actually with other people who are, you know, considered the other, the Mm -hmm. hillbillies or however that works. Yeah. But they have to work – they have to deal with that and overcome it. Or or sometimes they don't overcome it. But usually they do. Mm -hmm. Usually they overcome it. And when they overcome it, through that process, that male character or male characters become men. Yeah. In which basically the idea is that society can't make you a man. You have to go outside of society, run into something that's horrible, and then come back and you're, quote unquote, a man. Well, and this, this uh, in Jaws, you also have the added character of the fisherman. Yes. And the fisherman kind of represented uh, traditional masculinity. Yes. Uh, in uh, the quaint. way that yeah. would have been imagined, it well kind of is imagined still now. Well, yeah, that's sort of what Charlie's been imagining this whole time. <laughs> going to the bar. Yeah. And yeah, drinking, he's got the got the scars. Says says horrible things and about women. There for a second. I'm just saying that right, pansies yeah. have existed since the beginning of time. <laughs> right. Like, 
the well, range of masculinity yeah. yes it is constant like it, mm-hmm. if you if you were the kind of guy that bra- would brawl in the bars today you'd have been that guy 300 years ago yep uh right. if you were the guy that you know preferred the gentle life in the theater you would be that guy 300 years ago right they existed Blah yes. blah blah. Yeah. Right. But there's this idea. Well, it's see, that it, this rug, rugged fisherman mm-hmm. is the prescribed man. Right. And well, I was gonna say I also think the difference between how masculinity is viewed, like throughout history and throughout different cultures, is how that culture culture kind of relates to that person. Because there's no, you know, like you said, there's been no difference. You know, some people like to go brawl and do stuff, and some people don't. And so, but it's definitely the cultural relationship to it. And Quint seems to be kind of this, he's not a hero. He's kind of this. Ah, he's, he's an archetype. Yeah. He's, um, he is the man yeah. that we've lost. Right. He's and we ve- lose him in the movie. Yes. He's a veteran. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He, he's a veteran from World War II. He's from that generation. He's, you know, he's got the scars. Um, he, you know, he drinks, he has, you know. He lives he, a rough life. Yeah, and and like if you notice, his captain's chair is literally in the middle of the ship, and he never goes up and like you know steers the Isn't ship. Is that he's, the fisher's chair? Well, yeah, but that's where he basically just sits the entire time. Because well, he's gonna catch a shark. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's impractical. I'm just saying okay, that, okay. that. But yeah, he is. He's this archetype of yeah. American standards of masculinity that are now and always have been completely unreasonable yes and do ignore like we weren't always all fishermen right we never needed all of us to be fishermen right um the book types are helpful too yeah yes I like am. We're, we're perfectly <laughs> we're perfectly happy with all the fishermen well i was gonna say that's kind of something that i noticed in the movie as well uh not to take this off track but there seems to be you know there's that point where um Oh, Hooper is getting mad at Quint and he's like I don't need this working class hero and it seems that Quint has some weird it's, quote, it's, quote, in quotes working class tropes that are kind of used to distinguish him from oh, he, Hooper he, was, he, was, uh, he didn't call he said you know university types yes mm-hmm. or he said you got city hands and yeah. yeah, but to be fair, it sounds like Hooper was a trust fund kid. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not untrue necessarily, but it's it's kind of weird because like, I worked as a janitor and I, most of my jobs have been working class and I don't, you know. Um, yeah, but fishing yeah. messes up your hands. I would imagine. I no, I'm sure. No, it's not about the hands. It's just about kind of his. Well, but all all manual labor does. Right, but the point is, is that his his relationship to, let's say, theoretical knowledge or, or uh-huh. kind of the scientific, you know, he he's all suspicious of it, and he you know considers Hooper pretty useless until about the middle of the film, mm-hmm. and so I just you know that's a weird kind of working class trope. Well, and so here's something I've sort of been percolating on as this discussion has been going is this connection I see between the Edge and Jaws with whoever Hopkins plays in The Edge and, yeah. and Brody in the socially being othered yes. from even the other. Well, they, they share the, the uh, characteristic of, you know, Brody was reading a book on sharks. And when his wife goes over there and interrupts him, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, nobody knows how old sharks are. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, and you but get he's, that. But he's not as bookish and yeah. educated right. as Hooper and he's more connected to Quint through living in the area and being raised in that lifestyle, but not being a fisherman. Yes. Like, he plays the go-between, and when they're sharing their scars, he stands on the outside right. across yeah. the table from them and doesn't provide any Yeah, input. he just lets them come together. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. even in the beginning of the movie, when he's watching people swimming from the shore... You have the conversation happening in the background, one woman to another. Well, when do I become an islander? Oh, you're not an islander unless you were born on the island. It's just never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like the movie, right? Whether yeah. it's intentional or not, there is 
the the distinction between setting parameters yeah and Brody. yeah, yeah. It, hard, hard parameters yeah yes yeah, mm-hmm. kind of a sense of alienation exactly well, the, yeah. the it's interesting too when you bring up the edge because one of the things that didn't make it into the movie from the book is a uh, infidelity story um i think it's brody was having an affair with mm-hmm. the mayor's wife or yeah, One of, a lot of the book didn't make it into yeah, the movie. but but the affair was a rather prominent part, and and would have added a little bit more of the crisis of masculinity into right. the movie. They do shout out to the affair with one of the character names. But yeah. it's not present there. Yeah, it's not it's not very important, although if it had been put in, it would definitely have fed the idea more because it would have shown that he was, you know, trying to be a man other ways. But than you know, either. the thing is with this movie mm-hmm. is that like it had to be meant as metaphor because Lord only knows that none of them bothered to do any science. Yes. <laughs> right. And like they they are so bad with shark facts. Yes. That I can't even, I'm sitting there going, like, did people not know about sharks in the 70s? Right. Like, what the <laughs> right. heck am I looking at? Well, yeah, right. and I was going to say, another uh, parallel to The Edge, and actually another parallel to other movies, is that oftentimes the main protagonist in these movies has a job that's some kind of authority. Like, Charles is a billionaire. Or a chief of police. Yeah, chief of police, or... In Straw Dogs, and not being respected in the authority. Exactly, and, and like in Straw Dogs, there's this guy. The guy, main guy, is like a a really important mathematician, who nobody takes seriously. Mm-hmm. And so what it shows is like you know they can't even fall back on their social authority mm-hmm. because Brody and, like yeah. tries to shut the waters down and yeah the and mayor goes over the mayor's head to say yeah. well, we're shutting it down and then the mayor says for 24 hours right yeah well, well I didn't agree to that. And that's an interesting thing, too. The conflict could have easily been convincing them to, you know, follow public safety protocols right. and keep the beach shut down until the shark went away. Mm-hmm. Right. But instead of making the government mm-hmm. and this absolutely off-his-hinges mayor that just didn't have any business making decisions for yes. anybody right, uh, is not the antagonist, yeah. they go after the freaking shark, and it's like, it's a shark. Well, well like, and, and part of the reason they do that is because Hooper is so gung-ho shark. He's like, I was going to go on this big old expedition, but there's shark right here. Yes, right. I'm going to go get the shark. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I think that's kind of one of the tropes in uh, Crisis of Masculinity movies that often to viewers nowadays probably doesn't make any sense. Because sometimes there's a whole bunch of things like you're saying, like dealing with the mayor, dealing with the people who made that little committee or whatever it was that they had. Instead of dealing with that, instead of trying to, like, you know, do that, it's like, oh, no, the answer's out there. You have to go confront a shark. Well, and wasn't some of the conceit here that they needed to get the shark as fast as possible to keep all these other boaters from dying mm-hmm. trying to get the shark? Right, yeah. Which, that's not a believable plot line to me. It's not, yeah. The, I mean, the movie was written the night of. Right. So. Well, I mean, well, it, the book was written though. Yeah, well, but they didn't do the book. Right. It, yeah. It, it's definitely where you know you you have these characters who kind of ride roughshod over general social relations, having to actually deal with people who don't agree with them. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, just go kill a shark. Well, and I I think that you can see Brody not meeting the masculine stereotype in, in very much in the beginning of the movie because he's chief of police and people are coming up to him willy-nilly on the beach and making light of yeah. his whole personality and mm-hmm. telling him what to do as chief of police. Right. And this whole thing where he won't get in the water yes. is very clearly seen as, as oh. something of derision right. by his community. Right, and what's interesting about that is then at the end of the movie, um, you know, he's swimming in the water to go back, which is supposed to be a sign of having overcome his Mm -hmm. fear of being in the water. Yeah. And so, you know. And having a rational fear or an irrational fear is uh, not for men. (laughs) No men experience fears. I always take it. And if they do, they have failed. See, in my explanation to my parents, so we could watch Jaws on Sunday to add some variety to the mix-up, um, I'd always taken it as he'd had a run-in with a shark in his childhood at some point. 
because he had all the books on sharks. Mm-hmm. He has some kind of <laughs> something happened in his pants. Something happened in his pants <laughs> when he was younger. And he's afraid of like the man knows sharks. Yes. For like he's not reading up on like jellyfish as far as you provided in the movie. Yeah, he's not he's not walking through a library being like, "All right, is this is this a book on sharks?" No, he's got all of the books in his home already. Right. And won't step foot in the water and you know grew up there it seems like and has the scarring like right it seems like he may have had a shark encounter right yeah and so but that, still yeah you're not supposed to have fears and it's a really like, I, it's kind of like, show that, yeah. they, that you have to overcome those fears rather than just kind of like yeah Fear is a normal human experience, <laughs> right. and uh, the water is a harsh mistress, <laughs> right. so it's not the worst thing to be afraid of. Well, right, and the thing is, like, the difference between, <clears throat> say, Charles and, and Brody, for example, is that Charles, to me, and then I made this argument when we had the last podcast, was he was using his brain, and he was trying to outthink nature as opposed to just, you know, shooting a shark and hoping for the best. Now that doesn't mean Brody doesn't use his mind. He obviously has shown is more to do with the interpersonal, right? Bridging the gap. Yeah, yeah. He was more bridging the gap, and like you know, like you were saying about irrational fears and fears in general not being a part of masculinity. I mean, Quint breaks their radio to contact back. Well, because he's pulling an Ahab. Right. Yeah. I want to talk about those parallels because I hate them. <laughs> they were yeah. there on purpose. I, I was watching them in the bu- book, and I was like, hey, look, it's Moby's dicks. Oh my Wait, God. you read the book? What? You were watching them in the book? The parallels? You you, you, you said you were watching. In the movie. I was yeah. watching oh, okay, the movie. Okay, okay, All right. okay. Yeah, and I've read enough of Moby Dick to get tired. No, I meant the, uh, the it's book. A hor- Actually, I think I, I think I did read it. It's a horrible it's a horrible a book kid. up until about the middle part and then there's about like five chapters that are pretty good and then the rest is <laughs> because the beginning of it not to go too off topic, but Herman Melville spends the whole time just telling people, "Oh, this is what it's like to go whaling," and he's really, yeah. he's like, he's like Tolkien level, just you know, World describing building. things. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's great, and you don't see Captain Ahab until like the middle of the book. That's why when some people are like, "Oh yeah, I've read Captain Ahab or, or read a uh, Moby Dick," it's like, oh, when does Captain Ahab show up? That's a, that's a test I have because if they haven't read it, they're like, oh yeah, he's there at the beginning. It's like, nope. But he's there in spirit. <laughs> he's 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 the ultimate introvert. He just locks himself in his cabin, and they're like, "Where's the captain?" And they're like, oh, "I he'll refuse show up. to make an appearance yeah, right. in my book." Okay, right. And the, and the what's funny though is the actual response to um, Ishmael asking about where the captain is. They're like, "Oh, he'll show up when he wants to." It's like, well. would I get to have that social life? <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, no, we we can move on to the parallels because. There are parallels. For example, the harpoon gun is supposed to be like the the manual harpoon that Captain Ahab uses. Quint is basically ca- Captain Ahab, mm-hmm. although I would say less nuanced and more focused on masculinity and those traditional ideals. And revenge. Yeah. On the shark. Well, yeah, no, I'm not saying it's completely just masculinity, but it's also it is revenge because like he tells that story about being on the USS Indianapolis. Indianapolis. And so yeah, no, there's a there's a revenge to it. Although it's interesting that they didn't give him any limb loss. Well, he lost the lower half. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But it's it's mostly a scar. But no, I'm like. Oh well, yeah. When he dies, yes, he loses the. <laughs> yeah. It goes all Darth Maul on him. Just cuts him in half. Yeah. But some of the parallels were good, but I didn't enjoy the parallels being in that movie. Because of how bad everything was. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Quint is basically, it's weird. He he shows up at the, the town hall meeting. He just randomly says some stuff like, oh, I could kill it for $10,000. And it's like, no, <laughs> shut I up. I mean, to be fair, right. do ask for more money. Yes. But, Savvy business move. <laughs> right. But he just shows up there, and then you don't see him. And then, you know, he, he's just... 
He's not a very well-developed character. He's very no, two-dimensional. Well, the and then writing. you also get a whole bunch of exposition in the movie that's like, well, do you know how to tie knots? Here, I'm tying a knot. Look at me. We've right. learned how yes. to tie some knots. I mean, like, well, they go through a lot of, like, the, the, we're fishing. It's, it's penis measuring. We can say penis on the podcast. Yeah. We can't say the other word. <laughs> <laughs> You can't say what you just said. Well, yeah, sorry. I, I'm making up rules that don't You exist. are making up rules. <laughs> it's, it's the dick measuring contest. Yeah. Yeah. I can tie knots. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really bad between Hooper and Quint. Yeah. You know, Hooper's like, oh, you don't know anything about sharks. And he's like, well, you don't know how to admit you're wrong. And Which is a classic yeah. problem with academia. Yeah. And that that's what I mean by one of the kind of the weird – working class tropes where this guy is like basically anti-academic and it's like because working class folks don't have that problem right either. yeah yeah we just use our immediate senses and turns out to be superior as yeah well. and yeah and he turns it was out. still better than the way armageddon did that yes armageddon yes. did that and like the oil riggers beat nasa but also the oil riggers were like salt of the earth mom and pop mm -hmm. oil refinery owners <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> a man with a fishing boat is a better example of that God. trope. Than, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, it, Armageddon it, did much worse. Right. Yeah. It, it's not entirely bad, but it's it's just something that is it's it's an inch it's a, it's a bad framing of working class people in general. I'm okay saying that Michael Bay does a worse job than Spielberg. Obviously. But also, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Spielberg. Right. Yeah, let's have it on Spiel yeah. Spielberg, okay, okay, actually. Okay. So, uh, according to Wikipedia, which is my only source ever on the show, because <laughs> um, we work hard for you. <laughs> Sometimes I read other things, but not tonight. Um, this is, this the filming of this movie went, like, way too long because they had so much trouble with it in fact the movie as metaphor for man versus nature played out in the production and nature <laughs> was winning <laughs> um to the point of like being a hundred days over schedule oh, right geez. and spielberg was not present when they shot the last scene which he continued that and made it a little tradition in all his other movies where as director he'd be like all right i'm out skis bye <laughs> and doesn't direct the last scene and i'm like cool director you got there because this he was having his own crisis of masculinity and because that <laughs> happened he and, had and to he tried to pretend that that was what he meant to have happen and <laughs> demonstrated that by not being present for any final scenes ever because it was his idea of course he's like, he's like listen crew i'm not gonna be here for the last scene i have to go fight some seagulls like it was it was so <laughs> long on schedules like i can't be here for whatever reason i didn't read that much um right and like the the whole like directors are so cool and artistic and it's Spielberg and I'm like yeah, yeah right yeah they're He's they're, a they're joke. the they're the auteur they do whatever the auteur theory applies <sighs> to Spielberg oh too and I laugh <laughs> ha God yeah. oh, I mean but also this was such a poorly directed movie well I, was, I mean it I've was never... <laughs> hilariously badly directed I mean some of the cinematography was just like cheese it scenes well, that were just like you, you remember that some of some of the moments though are very impactful and have yes. stayed in the public consciousness but right. the majority of the movie yes yeah, yeah. It, well i was gonna say it's like that that the one, harsh zoom on brody's right. face or, or the, the perspective shift yeah or that that weird transition in the middle of brody talking and they just transition that's not, okay that's not one of the iconic things oh, oh no 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 i was I, I was describing one of the bad things yeah 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 no that the movie's weirdly put together yes. and the dialogue is so bad <laughs> and uh and and you see that some of the stage direction i mean there was one point where brody fell on the boat and he's in like there's water coming into the boat mm -hmm. and he's in this aisle and like clearly the stage direction was that he would fall and have a hard time getting up but there was literally no reason for this healthy adult <laughs> male to not be able to get off the floor so he kind of had all four <laughs> limbs up in the air and wiggled back and forth like a turtle could to he show distress <laughs> could he have still been drunk <laughs> oh know. 
I I enjoyed the part where he holds Quint's hand for like five seconds and lets him go, like you know, classic Titanic moment. He just he's like, oh, I got you. Not really. Bye. So the, so also, <laughs> well, dudes can't hold hands, man. No, unless no. they're saying, man, your hands suck. <laughs> yeah, let me see how your handshake is. Like, no, I crush this you. Is, this you got city hands. Uh, I don't want to hold your city hands anymore. This is not this is not a strong handshake. I'm gonna have to let you go. No, wait. But so. Also, some of the actors weren't getting along, notably the guy who played Quint and Richard Dreyfus, because <laughs> Quint, the actor, man behind the Quint, was drunk. <laughs> he was the drunk one. the until- And I guess he was going back and forth between filming and Canada, <laughs> trying to like evade tax issues. <laughs> and um and like was mad at Dreyfus in particular because he was doing well in his career. <laughs> oh my god. And so the entire movie was a mess. And I feel safe in saying that my reaction to it is uh, uh, uh that's your ubric? That's my ubric, Charlie. Hola. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> we said it. Hola. Um this like throwing up. <laughs> okay, now that you've finished laughing at Charlie, give us your Ubrick. That's my Ubrick. Okay. It's I so like it's funny bad. Like <laughs> this We had fun. Honestly, honestly, right from the get-go, when the shark attacks the woman. And the, the shark attack on the woman looks vaguely like a distressed Muppet. Like, you know how in the Muppet show when they, like, throw their arms out behind them and they're just going, ah! Yeah. Well, heck. And they're flopping around and going back and forth across the stage because somebody's just flinging them around. That's what the shark attack looked like. I, I was getting a snack when that happened, and the movie experience started for me when Amy said, that's a whole vagina. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting my, uh, a PG movie. My favorite part was when they had like two barrels on the shark and then they start playing that lighthearted music as they're chasing it. It's like, it was like a jaunty little tune. Yeah, yeah people, people talk about the music in, the, in this movie and they mean the shark theme, yeah. which is brilliant. The yeah. rest of the music is like you are in the wrong movie, actually. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. But that, that, that Jaws theme the way it, it makes da, your heart beat da, feel like it's going in time da, with it. And it's da, just, da, da, it's perfect. Yes. It's a perfect da, song. Right. Well, and I, I was going to say, you know, you could take that jaunty music and you could put it for the whole show and it would be just a really bad comedy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's already a really bad comedy. <laughs> we want to remind everyone that we are professionals. Don't watch these at home. Don't watch these at home.